From the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast, this is the Parsha Pathways Podcast. Dive in to the weekly Torah portion led by rabbis local to Florida's Gulf Coast, Pinellas Pasco, and Hernando Counties. Participate live every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time via Zoom. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash Parsha to learn more. So uh, post Pesach cleanup, you know, everything made it to my office for uh, Passover. And somehow it takes uh, a month to clean for Passover and a month to clean up after Passover. And my kids are still asking where the rest of their toys, you know, that's how it goes. So it's great to see everyone. Good morning to everybody on this uh, special, special week. I like to say every week is special. And uh, this week is uh, we're in the month of ER. We started already Sunday, Monday, Rosh Chodesh, the month of ER. Uh, one of the acronyms for the month of ER is Ani Hashem Rafecha, I am the Lord, your healer. And so just a blessing for everyone, uh, whoever needs healing in their life, you should have lots and lots of healing in this special month. But let's talk about the Parsha, because that's why you're all here. I tell the story of a uh, little Sammy. He comes home, and uh, as, he, as he gets home, he sees that his brother... Johnny is uh, walking with crutches and Johnny is trying to carry a plate of food and so the dad looks at Sammy and tells Sammy why don't you help your brother Johnny carry the food with uh, you know look he has crutches he can barely carry his food so Sammy tells his dad I don't want to so the dad looks at him and says but you've been going to Hebrew school what do you think Moses would do and Sammy looks at his dad and says, Moses, Moses would pray for my brother to get healed and he would carry the food himself. So that's, uh, that, why am I saying this joke? Is there's, uh, obviously we have this idea, there's holy people, people like Moses, people who do miracles. We generally associate holiness with, uh, you know, the great, the great people of the world, the people who can uh, perform miracles and wonders or who achieve world peace, things like that. And today we're going to discuss can holiness apply to us? And that is, in fact, the name of this week's Torah portion, Kedoshim, you shall be holy. So let us dig right in into the text. And uh, this is from the book of Leviticus, and it's chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. And so let's, uh, I'll just start off reading the text before we get into the uh, commentaries, and then I'll uh, open up everybody reading once we get to the commentary. There's a lot of interesting things. So it starts off over here. It says, and God spoke to Moses saying, speak to the whole Israelite community and say to them, you shall be holy for I, your God, am holy. So again, God is saying that we should be holy because God is holy. It's an interesting thing. What, is that, what does that even mean? Um, but we also have this a similar refrain towards the end of the Torah portion. So it's not just in the beginning the Torah is telling us that we should be holy, but also at the end we have at the end of this week's Torah portion in uh, chapter 20, it says, you shall be holy to me, for I am holy, and I have set you apart from other peoples to be mine. So here we have God is telling us clearly that we should be holy. 
And one important point, it says in the verse, Daber el so it says, speak to the whole Israelite community. So the commentary, Rashi says, why does it have to stress that it was spoken to everybody? So let us uh, open up, anybody wants to read this text here? This is from Rashi. What does Rashi say? Uh, Jay, it looks like you're trying to unmute. Oh, there, go for yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. Well? Yep. Yeah, yep. okay. And we are right here. Okay, speaking of the congregation of children of Israel, uh, this, the addition of the words call a dot. Call a dot means the whole congregation. You may have heard there's like there's like uh, synagogues. They're called like Adat Yisrael, or you may have heard congregation have the word Adat. The word Adat means congregation. Yeah. Uh, teaches us that this section was uh, proclaimed in the full assembly because most of the fundamental teachings of the Torah are dependent on it, contained in it. Sifra Kedoshim section one one, Vayikra Rabba twenty four. So Rashi is giving the source to different Midrash. So what he's saying is that uh, everyone had to be there for this teaching because it was the most fundamental teachings of the Torah. Whatever was taught in this week's Torah portion is the most fundamental, and therefore everybody had to be there. But let me ask the question. Were not all the Jewish people there whenever Moses gave commandments to the people? That wouldn't that be our assumption, huh? You would think. Yeah, right. Why is there suddenly a stress that uh, teach this to everybody? Because this is most important. I would hope that everybody was there for all the other commandments. I mean, it's kind of hard to be expected to keep a commandment if you're not around to listen to it, right? So the answer to this, this is just the technicality. You know, what does it mean teaching everybody? And the answer is, and I'm not going to read the actual text, but you can look at it over here. This is from the Talmud. The Talmud Erevin. The Talmud Erevin actually tells us when Moses would give over a teaching of the Torah, there was actually an order. It wasn't originally taught to everybody. So Moses would first teach it with just his brother Aaron. Then more people would enter the room and he would teach it again. Then more people would enter the room and he would teach it again. And then finally everybody would enter the room and he would teach it to everybody. So the way it usually would work is again, he would teach a smaller group of people, then a little larger, a little larger until he would be teaching everybody. But ultimately, what that would mean is, as it points out here, Aaron heard the lesson four times, his sons heard it three times, the elders heard it twice, and the entire nation heard it once. So typically, even when Moses gave over any of the commandments, there was a hierarchy. You were able to see that there were differences on who would need to hear it many, many more times. Obviously, everybody had to hear it at least once. Otherwise, it's not a commandment. But generally, there was a differentiation between people. However, in this instance, the laws of being holy which whatever that means, we'll have to get to. When it says teach it to everybody, what that means is, is that there were no differentiations between anybody. And that's what, uh, uh, that's what this teaching is about. It's telling us that everybody had to gather all at once. There was no hierarchy. This was something that was taught to everybody all at once. And what was the message? What was the purpose in this? Why did he have to if everybody's going to hear it, why this differentiation? And here we have this text over here. And this is from the Alshech, Rabbi Moshe Alshech. He was a uh, Kabbalistic commentator in the 1500s. And so, uh, Jay, since you're still in the middle of this, if you want to read this text, the number six. Uh, 
Why did everyone need to gather for this teaching? Because there are some people who mistakenly say not everyone will merit this lofty level of holiness, maybe one or two in a generation. However, this is untrue. There is no one in Israel that cannot attain greatness through Torah study, good deeds, and hitbodidut um, mediation and piety. Yeah, that's a spelling mistake. It's just a meditation. Yeah. Meditation, I should say. It's meant to be meditation. I thought that yeah. was Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. In piety, anyone can reach a point that people will call them holy. So this is a powerful, powerful line. It's saying study, good deeds, meditation. Okay, that's right. It encompasses encompasses all of life, right? Study, good deeds, and spending time to meditate. Anyone can reach a level of holiness. So to me, this is a uh, important line. Is we tend to think of holiness when you say the word holy. Who do you think of? You know, some people say Moses. Some people say the Dalai Lama. I mean, it's all Beth. Yeah. God. God, right? You think of God for sure. Um, we many of us may think holiness is not attainable to us. We are not, we're just regular people. We're not holy people, right? Um, however, what? Birth. Birth. You're saying when, when we're born, a, we're holy? I think the act of birth is a holy situation. Right. Um, I thought you were saying when we're born, we're holy until we mess it up as we get older. <laughs> oh, right. We haven't sinned yet, right? <laughs> yeah, that too, right? <laughs> it's actually, um, it's actually interesting just talking about that, about, uh, you know, when we're born, we're holy. Um, in, uh, in Judaism, you know, prayers of children and, and good deeds of children are considered greater and more powerful because they're considered untainted by sin. They technically can't sin until they're 12 or 13. So their, their prayer and their Torah study is considered more powerful in, in many respects, in many ways. It says uh, when uh, the story of Purim, Mordechai gathered groups of children in public to study with them. That was all because of the merit of, of children. But anyways, I'm digressing here. So we started off with the uh, section from the Torah, which says you should be holy. And it kind of said some funny lines like, uh, be holy because I'm holy. Just like I'm holy, you're going to be holy, whatever that means. And uh, we've learned that this commandment to be holy is for all of us. So I want to turn the question over to anybody here. What does it mean to you to be holy? You know, if, if we're being told that we all should be holy and it is attainable, what does it mean to you to be holy? How would... What would you have to do to become holy or to consider someone holy? Yes. Sadaka. Charity. Charity would make you holy. Oh. Giving and caring and loving and doing what we can to make the world a better place as we can. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but giving, would giving alone itself make somebody holy? If it helps a person and doesn't put the person in a negative situation, it could be. 
Okay. I guess it goes, it goes with the, the spirit of the loan and the relationship. I mean, you could also talk about prayer and meditation and study, right? But yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on the, 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 bringing, the it in, bringing it to action, shall we say. Yeah. So uh, the next time you walk into synagogue, look on the big board whose name is there, walk over to the uh, big donor and say, your holiness, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> okay, all right, anyone else? What does it mean to be holy? I yes. think it means, I think it means somebody, anyone who is trying on a daily basis to, you know, follow and, um, and do all 613 mitzvot. And constantly thinking about the the chore and the the task and the that that encompasses that the responsibility at hand. Yep. Okay. Good. Good. Anybody else wants to offer their opinion? This is a, this is a place for you to think. Um, Judaism likes uh, questions and thoughts. Helps you. Uh, connect with whatever it is you're learning. Um, okay. So what's interesting is when we talk about holiness, what usually first comes to mind, I remember I had someone at my, at my table once and we were talking about holiness and uh, you know, they're like the, the Dalai Lama is holy. Or we imagine sometimes holiness as somebody who's who sits up in a mountain and meditates. And we did mention meditation there, but a lot of times we we associate holiness with people who are separate, people who are aloof, people who don't necessarily connect with this world. And in a sense, there is um, Jewish precedent to such an idea, but. Total aloofness is definitely not holy. Um, does anybody here, I'm sure you had the class last week, um, we had the sons of um, Aaron who died, right? And anybody knows why did they die? What does the Bible say? They, well, in my, in my opinion, this is, this is my uh, yeah. redactation of this, is they went over and above their instructions. They didn't, Moses said, this is what I want you to do, or they had specific instructions and they did that, but then they went over and above almost, uh, you know, to really please. And um, they were consumed by fire. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So in fact, it's pretty much what, if you read the verse, you can read that in there. It says here, none of an of you each took his fire pan, put fire in it, laid incense on it. They offered before God an alien fire, which they had not been enjoying upon them. So as you were saying, they were going above and beyond what they were told. They were doing more. They were trying to get closer to God than they were commanded to. And in a sense, we can look at it because um, they wanted to get close to God. That's, that's really the idea. It says in uh, elsewhere, as it says over here, um it says um they, they 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 offered to god but also really the idea is they were trying to get close to god we actually see that they were kind of very spiritual people another example of how spiritual they were if you look in the book of numbers it says over here um they left no children it says sons but it really means they had no children so nadav and avihu 
these sons of Aaron who died by trying to get too close to God were also people who had no children. What's the connection between those two things? They had no children because they were very, very spiritual, right? They wanted to get so close to God. They didn't want to be distracted by a wife and kids. They just wanted to get close to God. They wanted to separate from the world. But as you mentioned, they were going too far. They were um, being swept away with their passion towards God and kind of forgetting what it is that God wanted from them. And so that's really the balance of holiness. Holiness is not just separating from the world because then you run the risk of being Nadav and Aviyah, the sons of Aaron, where you're going to go off, where you're going to go off the rails. You know, I once heard a great rabbi say, how do you know what God wants? And the answer is only if God tells you. You can guess what God wants, but there's only one way to really know what God wants is for him to tell us. That's why every religion is based on communication. Without communication from God, there is no religion. If God never came to us and told us what he wants, we can ask him, we can try and serve him, but we cannot truly know what he wants. You know, maybe God wants uh, us to face West. I don't, I don't know. Well, it depends where you live. But I'm saying, how do, how do you know what God wants unless he communicates with you? And so that's really the idea is that holiness is not just separating from the world, but actually it's more deep than that. It's, it's serving God and uh, through the different avenues that we have discussed before. But that's one way of looking at holiness. Another way of looking at holiness is the way we were speaking before is separating from the world. And here, I just want to present one interesting idea from Nachmanes. I know I'm, I'm, I'm taking you two divergent paths. This is really what I'm going to present today. And holiness is really two ways of looking at holiness is really what we're going to present today. One is the general way we look at holiness, which is separation. In fact, the word kadosh in Hebrew, one of the meanings of the word kadosh means to separate. Um, when someone betrothes, when, when there's a marriage, a Jewish marriage, what's the line that we say? You are betrothed to me. One of the meanings of that is that you are betrothed to me and separated from the world. You are, you know, you're now forbidden upon the rest of the world. You're betrothed to me. So kadosh can mean holiness, separation. And so one way of looking at holiness is a separation from the world. But another way of looking at holiness is what uh, others were saying over here is really doing the good deeds, getting involved within the world. And so we're going to explore both of these types of holiness and how they're both correct within uh, the Jewish thought. We're going to present to you different texts showing you holiness from being separate and holiness from uh, getting more involved in the world and getting connected with what we should be doing in life. If that sounds confusing, this is how Judaism works. There's always two opinions and there's always two ways of looking at everything. And that's the way it goes. Yes, Jay? Sorry. Oh, you no. muted. Okay, I thought you wanted to say something. Okay. So let's first go with, there's an interesting um, text by Nachmanides. This is one of the Nachmanides' most famous texts. It's a very fascinating one in which he basically posits and he says that you can be religious, keep all 613 commandments and yet be a horrible person. Just like in American law, you can follow the law to the T but if you have good lawyers, you can be a horrible person. 
you can use the law in the way that you want. This is always what we say. There's the law and there's the spirit of the law. And so Nachmanides says, when the Torah says, thou shalt be holy, what it means is to follow the spirit of the law, not just to follow the technicalities of the law and what is permitted and what is forbidden, but also to be holy in your life. Not everything that's permitted do you have to run to do, and not everything that's, uh, well, everything that's forbidden you shouldn't be doing. But in other, in essence, not everything that's uh, permitted should you be running to do. It can lead to self-indulgence. Now, he, maybe that was what, you know, he focuses a lot on, um, uh, you know, sexual self-indulgence, self but it really applies to any type of self-indulgence. So here is the text from Nachmanides. So if anybody wants to read the uh, text of Nachmanides. Well, you shall be holy, abstain from the forbidden sexual relationships mentioned in the preceding section and from other sin, because wherever you find in the Torah a warning to guard against immora immorality, you find the mention of holiness. This is Rashi's language. But in the Torah Kohanim, I have seen it mentioned without any qualification particular without any particular reference to immorality as Rashi expressed it saying be self-restraining similarly the rabbis taught taught there and ye shall sanctify yourself and be ye holy for I am holy just as I am holy so you be holy just as I am pure so you be so you be pure, so be you pure and in my opinion this abstinence does not refer only to restraint from acts of immorality as the rabbi Rashi wrote, but it is rather the self-control mentioned throughout the Talmud, which confers upon those who practice it in the name of perushing Pharisees, literally those who are separated from self-indulgence as will be explained or those who practice self-restraint. The meaning thereof is as follows. The Torah has admonished us against immorality and forbidden foods, but permitted sexual intercourse between man and his wife and the eating of certain meat and wine. If so, a man of desire could consider this to be a permission to be passionately addicted to sexual passionately addicted to sexual intercourse. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Um, with his wife or many wives and be among wine bibers among gluttonous eaters of flesh and speak freely of all, freely all profanities. Since this prohibition has not been expressly mentioned in the Torah, and thus he will become a sordid person within the permissible realm of the Torah. Therefore, after having listed the matters which he prohibited altogether, scripture followed them up with a general command that we practice moderation even in matters which are permitted well, such yeah, as can stop there yeah then he just he just goes on explaining that but uh, that's that's pretty much the idea everything it, in moderation everything in moderation exactly hi i'm maxine kaufman executive director of the jewish federation of florida's gulf coast and i'm quickly interrupting this episode to tell you a bit about the organization that brings you the Parsha Pathways podcast. Welcome to the world of the Jewish Federation, 
where the Jewish values of compassion, charity, generosity, and responsibility inspire us to improve the quality of life for people in our community, in Israel, and around the world every day. It is time to meet the challenges of modern Jewish life, both at home and overseas, and to provide the financial resources needed to fund the many services, programs, and activities that are demanded of us to sustain and continue to grow a strong, vital, and vibrant Jewish life. Programs like Parsha Pathways are brought to you free of charge, but donations are always welcome. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash donate to learn more. So that's the idea. This is, it's interesting. I'm sure many of you here have heard the word Pharisees, but that's what the word Pharisees mean is separating, uh, separating from the world, from the world. He, he points out cursing is not, there's no verse in the Torah that expressly prohibits cursing. You're not allowed to swear falsely. You can't use God's name in vain, but cursing would be okay. So in, in theory, one could follow the Torah, be gluttonous, be addicted to so many things, you know, especially if you go with the, uh, you know, the Torah, you know, polygamy was allowed. And, and so all these different things, um, you know, you could, you could live within the realm of Torah and be a very self-indulgent person. And so what the, commandment of be holy means follow not just the letter of the law but also the spirit of the law and that's what Nachmanides is trying to tell us is that it's just as it's important to follow the technical laws it's important to follow the uh, specific laws and Hasidic philosophy and the Kabbalists definitely took this to another level and um, there's a and they spent a lot of time really focusing on, you know, what, what in life is necessary and what is just permitted. And, and so they used to say a line, what is forbidden is forbidden. And what's permitted is unnecessary. In other words, we don't need everything that we can have. And how different is that to today's society where, uh, you know, all the uh, advertisements are all about how every latest feature is the thing that you need. You know, if the newest car has a, an ejection button, when you get to your uh, location, you need to have that car with the ejection button. Obviously, it doesn't exist. I'm giving a silly example. But, you know, today we're so addicted to what's permissible. We're, you know, you, you, we don't have, today we don't have to go into what's forbidden anymore. This idea of being holy applies to today more than ever. There are so many things that are technically permitted, but are addicting, whether it's the latest phone, whether it's the latest car, whether it's the latest gadget in the house. Um, it's, it, it, it can become a self-indulgent exercise. We get too obsessed with ourselves and we lose sight of the spirit of the law and what we're really supposed to be doing in this world, which is not just always getting the latest and greatest things for ourselves, but this kind of harkens back to what we were saying earlier is thinking about others. And so if you want to look at it in that way, maybe we can say the two opinions are not that different. By being holy, not being too self-indulgent on ourselves, that allows us the time to focus on our mission and uh, what we have to do in this world and, and what we have to accomplish. Because as long as we're running after our, our, our you know, indulgences and, and things that we're allowed to do, um, it's hard to think about others, right? If, you, if you're thinking all about yourself all the time, it's hard to think about others. And so that's in a sense with holiness. Holiness in a sense does mean to separate, but it just means 
everything in moderation. Don't do everything that you can do. So that's idea number one. Um, any questions? No? So I just have a comment. I have okay. one comment. Isn't um, the act of separation, isn't it one of the 39 um, things you're not supposed to do on Shabbat? The act of separation, um, you're talking about intimacy or other things? I think other things. So here's the story that I'm going to tell. So I was okay. eating lunch, Shabbat lunch at um, my family's house. And my one cousin was picking the mm. celery out of her tuna. And her father said, you're not supposed to do that. If you don't want that, then we'll make you separate tuna, but you shouldn't be separating. Yes. Okay. Very good. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's something called borer, where you're picking the bad out of the good. So if you have a plate, uh, a lot of people who here doesn't like tomatoes. A lot of people don't like raw tomatoes in their salad. I love tomatoes. Okay. So if you have a salad plate on Shabbat and you have tomatoes in there, you're not allowed to pick out the tomatoes. You're not allowed to pick out the bad from the good. However, you are allowed to pick out the good from the bad. So what that could mean is like this. Let's say I'm sitting at the Shabbat table. I have my salad. My wife has her salad. I can take the tomatoes off her plate because I'm taking it for myself, but she can't just throw the tomatoes off her plate because she's taking the bad from the good. It's an interesting thing, but there's yeah. actually deep significance to that. And it actually ties into what we're saying here. The deep significance is like this. During the regular week, we have to learn how to separate the bad from the good. Because in life, as we know, since after the sin, uh, Adam and Eve, good and bad is all mixed, right? And so there's good and bad in the world. And we have to use it. We have to discern. Is this good? Is this bad? We have to pull the bad out of the good, the good out of the bad. We have to you know, separate in our lives. However, Shabbat is considered a day that is Kodesh Lashem, a day that's all holy to God. Everything on Shabbat is holy. That's why actually eating good food on Shabbat is a mitzvah. You know, we spoke about a moment ago, not getting too self-indulgent. Well, on Shabbat, you're supposed to have the best food because on Shabbat, everything is holy. Obviously not sin. Okay, we're not talking about that, but everything is holy. There's no separation. And that's why we're not allowed to separate the bad from the good on Shabbat because that would signify that there's something bad on Shabbat. And Shabbat is known as, a, as an entirely holy day. It's also why, you know, there's no Shiva on Shabbat and no sadness on Shabbat. Shabbat is all supposed to be good. All holy things on Shabbat. Nothing bad enters into the day of Shabbat. And so separating the bad from the good would signify that there's something wrong. So that's the meaning behind it. So all these discussion here about being holy, that's all for the weekday. Shabbat, everything we do is holy. Okay, but yeah, good, good, uh, good point. Okay, any any thoughts, questions? No, okay. So now we come to the second idea of holiness. And holiness, um, the word kadosh. Where do we use the word kadosh, holiness? Remember, Hebrew always works with a shorit, with a root word. Where do we use that, that word the most in Judaism? Where do we have the word kadosh the most in, in Judaism? We use it very often. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. We say that in the on the uh, in the prayer service. Holy, holy, holy. But where else do we use not the exact word kadosh, but the same content? It's a line we say very often in Judaism. It has the word kadosh in it. 
Remember, Hebrew words works with root words. Before you do anything in Judaism, what do you say? Any mitzvah. You light Shabbat candles, what do you say? Well, when you make a blessing on a mitzvah, what do you say? What's the line? What's the, what's the blessing? I don't know. I'm going to share Kiddushanu. Kiddushanu, very good. who has sanctified us, made us holy, the mitzvotav with his commandments. So again, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you, God, Elokeinu Malachalam, Lord God, King of the Universe. Asher Kiddushanu b'mitzvotav, who has sanctified us with his commandments. Vitzivanu and commanded us either to light the Shabbat candles or to eat matzah or to light Hanukkah candles. But that is probably the most common, the, 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 the time we use this word the most. Again, the, the way Hebrew works, if people know, Hebrew works with root words. And then there's, you change based on a prefix and a suffix, past tense, future tense. And so the word kadosh, holy, is the same root word in the word uh, kiddushanu, who has made us holy. So every time we do a mitzvah, we are saying that God is Kiddushanu, making us holy, sanctifying us. What does that mean? What does it mean that when we do a mitzvah, we're becoming holy? Why would that be? Any thoughts? Why would lighting Shabbat candles make you holy? Okay, I understand you give charity, you become holy. Why would lighting Hanukkah candles make you holy? Why would uh, eating matzah, why would that make you holy? I know the matzah is holy, it's got lots of holes, but why would it make you holy? <laughs> You're doing actions that connect you with God. Good. You're doing actions that connect you with God. Anybody yeah, else? As you're commanded. As you're commanded. Mm -hmm. And so what does that do? It separates you from the rest of the community and showing that you are someone that's doing this mitzvah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good, good. And specific to the word holiness, how does it make you holy? And the answer is, uh, yes, you become, you allow God into your life is really the way I would put it. You're allowing God into your life. You're doing something because he commanded you and that allows him into your life. When we think of it, God is infinite and we're finite. How do we bridge the gap of bringing God into our life? And an example is given is let's say you have a simple person like me and you have a very smart, let's say Einstein, right? Let's say there was Einstein. I remember they, they say there's a story that one time Ben-Gurion met Einstein and uh, Einstein explained to him his whole theory of relativity. And so they asked Ben-Gurion afterwards, I don't know if it's a true story, this is what they say. They asked Ben-Gurion afterwards, what do you think about the theory of relativity? And he says, I think uh, Einstein understands it very well. <laughs> you know, I have no idea what the heck he's talking about, but I think he understands it very well. So let's say you have, you know, we're talking about even people, an intellectual gap between someone who's really brilliant and, and someone who's very simple. They can bond over an action, let's say, where let's say Einstein would tell this very simple person, you know, can we go for a walk together or can you get me a cup of coffee or something like that? Suddenly there creates a connection between the two. So the same thing is with us and God as God is ultimately um, infinite, we are finite. How do we bring God into our life? And one way 
is by surrendering to him, doing what he asks of us. That's a way of surrendering to him and that allows him into our life. In fact, this is the entire differentiation in life between what is holy and what is unholy. The Kabbalists say what is holy is anything that has God in it. God is holy. If God is allowed in it, then it's holy. If God is not allowed in it, then it's unholy. In 12-step uh, programs, they like to say the word ego. Ego stands for edging God out. Ego, an acronym for edging God out. And so the idea is that whenever we let God into our life, that's how we get holiness, because God is holy. And by allowing God into our lives, um, we become holy too. So let's take a look at this text here. This is from the Tanya, Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Lizi, the first Chabad Rebbe written in the 1700s. So if anybody wants to read this text, where it says the side of holiness. I can read. Okay. The side of holiness is nothing but the indwelling and ex extension of God's holiness. Now, God dwells only on that which is surrendered to him, whether the surrender is an actual one and visible even in that surrendered being's external aspects, as is the case with the super supernal an angels whose entire being is constantly and openly surrendered to God, or whether it is a potential surrender, as in the case of every Jew here below in this physical world, who has the capacity for surrendering himself completely before God through martyrdom for the sanctification of God's name. Anything, however, that does not surrender itself to God, but considers itself as if it is a thing separate unto itself, does not receive its life from the holiness of God. So I find this text so clarifying in terms of what holy means. In other words, we tend to think of holiness as being separate. But what this is really telling us is that if you separate yourself from the world, but you're not surrendered to God. So let's say someone separates from the world. They don't indulge and they live on top of a mountain, but they're all full of themselves. They're totally thinking about themselves and how people will look up to them. Then that's not real holiness. If we think of holiness in, let's say, when we think of angels, what makes an angel holy? Well, what makes an angel holy is that we can clearly see on them, you know, as he points out here, even in their external aspects, how they are surrendered to God. They're these holy beings so connected with God and singing his praises and all constantly surrendered to God. That's what makes somebody holy, that's surrendered to God. And so what that would mean is that there can be layers and layers of holiness. We can be completely surrendered to God internally and externally like an angel. Or we can have potential levels of surrender that he mentions here, which is a, a deep discussion, which is probably too much for now. Uh, or we can have a small level of surrender. Maybe I have my ego and I'm not fully surrendered to God. But today I did something for God and I, and I did it to connect him. So let's say I'm kind to somebody. And again, it's not about me, not about my ego, but it's about doing my mission here in, the, in, here in this earth. That's a surrender to God. And even if there is a part of it that is for me, but there's a part of it that's surrender. That's how we allow God into our life. So again, holiness, this is a whole other way of looking at it. Holiness does not mean separation from the world because you could be separating from the world for ego purposes. And as long as ego is involved, that doesn't allow God into your life. Holiness is about allowing God into your life, that level of surrender and allowing that holiness to come into you and to come into your heart, to come into your soul and to come into your body. And this is a whole other way of looking at holiness. So can we become holy by sitting on top of a mountain and meditating? Maybe, maybe not. It really depends on what your intention is. So really, 
you can, but what this tells us is you can be holy in whatever you do, in wherever you are, as long as there's an element of surrender. Um, and I just want to read, I want to finish off of all the text parts. I want to read this text from, uh, or I want to have this text from, uh, we want, want to read this text from Maimonides, which uh, really points out that separating the world completely is not necessarily what makes somebody holy and is not necessarily the thing that Judaism asks of us to become holy. In other words, when we had the commandment earlier, we had God tells us, thou shalt be holy. As long as we have in our mind that holiness is separation from the world, most of us are never going to reach there. And so what we're flipping on its head today is saying it's not about separation from the world, it's about surrender to God. And everybody has a capacity to that to a certain extent. But just separation from the world alone is not holy. So let's read this text from Maimonides, which clearly tells us that separation from the world alone is definitely not holy. Um, Beth, do you want to read it? Sure. <clears throat> a peradventure man will say, seeing that envy, desire, and vainglory and like tendencies are evil tendencies and remove man from life. I will separate myself from them exceedingly and each their remotest extreme until he will eat no meat, drink no wine, marry no woman, dwell in no comfortable quarters, dress in no proper clothes, but in a sack and coarse wool and the like, as for instance, the idolatrous priests do, even such is an evil way and it is forbidden to follow it. He who follows this way is called a sinner for it is said of a Nazarite and make an atonement for him because he hath sinned against the soul, Numbers 611. Whereupon the sages said, if the Nazarite who did not separate himself from aught but wine must have atonement, he who deprives himself from each and everything, how manifold must his atonement be? Baba Kama 91b, therefore, did the sages command saying, a man shall not deprive himself of aught save the things which the Torah itself, uh, where am I? Deprived. <laughs> oh, deprived, itself deprived him of, nor shall he bind himself by vows and oaths to abstain from things which are permitted. They have even said, it is not enough for thee what the Torah has forbidden, that thou dost forbid thyself even other things. And in this rule are included such who are continuously fasting, for they are not in a good way, and the sages prohibited one from punishing himself with fast days. Concerning such and like matters, Solomon admonished, saying, Be not righteous overmuch, neither shall show thyself wise why wouldest thou destroy thyself all right so he's saying separating yourself fasting uh, denying yourself is not necessarily holiness and all this finally all ties into what we started off with the torah begins in this week's torah portion thou shalt be holy we discussed how it is available to everybody. Everybody can become holy. 
And that's why all the Jewish people had to gather when Moses told them, thou shalt be holy. And when you look at this week's Torah portion, which is all about becoming holy, and you look at the laws that it talks about, it doesn't talk about Yom Kippur. It doesn't talk about uh, some far off, very spiritual commandments. In fact, most of the commandments that are in this Torah portion are very down to earth. Honor your father and mother. Don't talk gossip. Don't steal. Take care of a fellow. All of those laws are in this week's Torah portion because that's what holiness is about. Holiness is not about sitting up on top of a mountain and separating. That's why Judaism Yom Kippur is only once a year. We need that once a year to recharge and regain our spirituality. But our purpose is not to remain on top of the mountain. Our purpose is to come down below. And we see this actually when God gave the Torah Mount Sinai. We were not raised up to heaven. God brought heaven down to us. It says God came down on Mount Sinai. We were not raised up into the sky. Only Moses climbed up. The rest of us had to stay down here. We all had to come. God came to us because the purpose is to be holy and to surrender to God. That's what it means to be holy, to surrender to God in our day-to-day -day life. Surrender can mean you have that piece of gossip you want to say, you're not going to say. It could mean you want to lie, you're not going to tell that lie. It could mean taking care of somebody else. It could mean it talks about gifts for the poor. All of those are in this week's Torah portion because that's where real and true holiness can be found. It's not about that separation as many people may imagine. It's about living our lives today and allowing God in our life. And the best way to live, to allow God in our life is doing what he asks of us. And he asks of us to live beautiful lives, helping other people around us. Of course, we have the spiritual commandments, but we also have those physical commandments, getting involved with our communities, getting involved with people around us, being good to one another. And I'll end up with a story. Uh, that really brings up this point. There was a, a tzaddik, he was called Remendel of Rimenov. He was one of the famous rebbes two, three hundred years ago. And um, he used to, every day before the prayers, he, he used to uh, leave for like two hours, which is odd because in many circles, they pray first thing in the morning. And he would leave for like two hours. And his followers never questioned where their leader, spiritual leader would go, Remendel of Rimenov. But one day there was a visitor to town who wasn't a Hasidic Jew. And uh, he kept questioning his, his, uh, this, the, the followers says, where's your Rebbe going? What's he, what's he doing? Is he going to play poker before prayers? You know, well, where's he going? What's he doing? Uh, you know, you think he's so holy? He said, oh, we don't know. We don't care. Probably he's going to heaven. I don't know where he goes. Maybe he goes to his room. He closes up. He goes to heaven. We, we, it doesn't bother us. So this guy says, you know, let me go follow him. See where he goes. He follows the Rebbe. The Rebbe walks to his house. And the Rebbe gets dressed in clothes of a, uh, clothing of a peasant. And so this guy looks at him, aha, I see, he's dressing up like a peasant. He, maybe he is going for that poker game or maybe to the bar to get a beer or something. And then he sees the rabbi gets an ax. He says, oh my gosh, he's not just going to the bar. Maybe he's going to, 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 to go, you know, be a robber in the forest or something, you know? Anyways, he sees the rabbi goes up, he goes to the forest and he sees the rabbi's chopping firewood. And then the rabbi takes the firewood and he goes over to a little dilapidated home on the edge of town and he knocks on the door and he says, hello, it's Ivan. And the woman says, oh, Ivan, so great to see you. My house is so cold, but I have no money to pay you today. So Ivan says, don't worry. When you have money, you'll pay me. In the meantime, let me bring you the fire. When he walks in there, it was an old lady who needed, you know, it was cold outside and he put the firewood in her oven and he, and he left. Of course, this was something it seems like he did every single day. 
he would secretly come to her. She would have no idea this was a great Rebbe. She thought it was just some random Ivan who was bringing her some firewood. And so when this person who was following the Rebbe came back and the, the, the fellow Hasidim, fellow followers asked him, so new did, did our Rebbe go to heaven? He says, he went higher than heaven. He's been higher than, and that's the idea. It's not just about elevating to heaven and meditating and going to great places, which is important sometimes, but we actually reach greater than heaven. It says that we, when we do a mitzvah down here on this earth, we become greater than the angels. The angels are envious of us, of what we can accomplish here on this earth. And so as we celebrate this week, Kadoshim to you, thou shalt be holy. Remember what is real holiness. All those commandments that it talks about in this week's Torah portion. Don't lie. Don't steal. Take care of other people. Doing that in a way of surrender to God. Why surrender to God? You may ask, well, can I do it without surrendering to God? Surrendering to God is what allows us to always do it. Because our ego can sometimes get in the way. Sometimes we, we tell ourselves, well, should I really help out that person? They were in and yeah, Our ego can sometimes get in the way of doing the right thing. That's why we need that surrender to allow us to truly do the right thing. Uh, because um, when it's all about us, our, we know our minds. Our minds can uh, play lots of tricks on ourselves. Uh, our moral compass can always, um, our minds can always convince us that the wrong thing is the right thing. There's so many uh, studies been done. It's called the fudge factor. You can look it up called the fudge factor. And uh, I've shown a lot of uh, studies on this in, in previous classes. Um, it's quite a fascinating thing. But regardless, when, it, when, when we're doing the right thing just because we think it's the right thing, there is a risk to that. Or we're doing it because God commands it to us to be holy. Then we know we are assured that we're more likely to do those holy things. So uh, thank you all for coming. That's my lesson for today. Be holy and go out there and uh, do good things and um, do holy things now that you have a better understanding of it. Yasha Koach, Rabbi. Thank you so much. Thank you. Any comments or questions, anybody? Now's your chance. Or if you have none, that's also okay. Thank you. Our, I just want to say if we have um, friends here from Menorah Life, so I'm, I'm thinking there's multiple people there that can't necessarily um, speak, but thank you for joining us. Okay, thank you. Thank you to everybody from Menorah Life. That's down in St. Pete, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, yeah. Okay, great, great to see everybody. Maybe next time, I know some places you can, you can set up a big screen. There's ways of doing it where... Uh, Maybe they could get it set up. We can see all of them and they can see all of us. But we'll, we'll have next to time. Here. work on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Have a good week, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Have a holy week. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Parsha Pathways. We hope that this episode filled your heart, mind, and soul with Jewish wisdom. Don't forget to stop by jewishgulfcoast.org to explore everything that the Federation has to offer. And we look forward to bringing you next week's Parsha. Shabbat Shalom.